0: Soft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old story books. Episode 25. Gibby sped down the hill through a worse rain than ever. The morning was close, and the vapors that filled it like smoke burned to the hue of the flames whence it issued. Many a man that morning believed another great deluge began, and all measures relating to things of this world lost labor. Going down his own side of the Glashburn, the nearest path to the valley, the gamekeeper's cottage was the first dwelling on his way. It stood a little distance from the bank of the burn, opposite the bridge and gate. It had been with great difficulty, for even Angus did not know the mountain so well as Gibby, that the gamekeeper reached it with the housekeeper the night before. It was within two gunshots of the house of Glashrock, yet to get to it they had to up and down Glashgar. A mountain in storm is as hard to cross as a sea. Arrived they did not therefore feel safe. The tendency of the Glashburn was indeed away from the cottage, as the grounds of Glashrock sadly witnessed, but a torrent is double-edged, and who could tell? The yielding of one stone in its channel might send it to them. All night Angus watched, peering out ever again into the darkness, but seeing nothing save three lights that burned above the water, one of them, he thought, at the mains. The other two went out in the darkness but that only in the dawn. When the morning came, there was the glashburn meeting the lorry in his garden. But the cottage was well built, and fit to stand a good siege, while any moment the waters might have reached their height. By breakfast time, however, they were rounded from behind. There is nothing like a flood for revealing the variations of surface, the dips and swells of a country. In a few minutes they were isolated, with the current of the glass burn on one side and that of the lorry in front. When he saw the water come in at front and back doors at once, Angus ordered his family up the stair. The cottage had a large attic with dormer windows where they slept. He himself remained below for some time longer, in that end of the house where he kept his guns and fishing-tackle. There he sat on a table, preparing nets for the fish that would be left in the pools. And not until he found himself afloat did he take his work to the attic. There the room was hot, and they had the window open. Mistress MacFop stood at it, looking out on the awful prospect, with her youngest child, a sickly boy, in her arms. He had in his a little terrier pup, greatly valued of the gamekeeper. In a sudden outbreak of peevish wilfulness, he threw the creature out of the window. It fell on the sloping roof, and before it could recover itself, being too young to have the full command of four legs rolled off. "'Eh! The doggies! Eh! The water!' cried Mistress MacPop in dismay. Angus threw down everything with an ugly oath, for he had given strict orders not one of the children should handle the whelp, jumped up, and got out on the roof. From there he might have managed to reach it, so high now was the water, had the little thing remained where it fell, but already it had swam a yard or two from the house. Angus, who was a fair swimmer and an angry man, threw off his coat and plunged after it greatly to the delight of the little one, caught the pup with his teeth by the back of the neck and turned to make for the house. Just then a shrub swept from the hill, caught him in the face, and so bewildered him that before he got rid of it he had blundered into the edge of the current which seized and bore him rapidly away. He dropped the pup and struck out for home with all his strength, but he soon found the most he could do was to keep his head above water and himself up for lost. His wife screamed in agony. Gibby heard her as he came down the hill and ran at full speed towards the cottage about a hundred yards from the house the current bore angus straight into a large elder tree he got into the middle of it and there remained trembling the weak branches breaking with every motion he made while the stream worked at the roots and the wind laid hold of him with fierce leverage in terror seeming still to sink as he sat he watched the trees dart by like battering rams in the swiftest of the current the least of them, diverging, would tear the elder tree with it. Brave enough in dealing with poachers, Angus was not the man to gaze with composure in the face of a sure, slow death, against which no assault could be made, from the branches of the elder tree showed a pale, terror-stricken visage. Amidst the many objects face of the water, Gibby, however, did not distinguish it, and plunging in swam round to the front of the cottage to learn what was the matter. There the wife's gesticulations directed his eyes to her drowning husband, but what was he to do? He could swim to the tree well enough, and he thought back again, but how was that to be made of service to Angus? He could not save him by main force, there was not enough of that between them. If he had a line, and there must be plenty of lines in the cottage, he would carry him the end of it to haul upon, that would do. If he could send it to him, that would be better still, for then he could help at the other end, and would be in the right position upstream to help farther if necessary, for down the current alone was the path of communication open. He caught hold of the eaves, and scrambled on to the roof, but in the folly and faithlessness of her despair the woman would not let him enter. With a curse caught from her husband she struck him from the window, crying, Yes, no, come in here, and my man drown, and yoner, gang till I'm ye coward. Never had poor Gibby so much missed the use of speech. On the slope of the roof he could do little to force an entrance, therefore threw himself off it to seek another, and betook himself to the windows below. Through that of Angus's room he caught sight of a floating anchor cask. It was the very thing, and there on the walls hung a quantity of nets and cordage. But how to get in? It was a sash window, and of course swollen with the water, therefore not to be opened, and there was not a square in it large enough to let him through. He swam to the other side and crept softly on to the roof and over the ridge, but a broken slate betrayed him. The woman saw, him, rushed to the fireplace, caught up the poker, and darted back to defend the window. Yes, and no, come in here, I tell you. ye, she screeched, and my man sticking a yon boar tree bus. Gibby advanced. She made a blow at him with the poker. He caught it, wrenched it from her grasp, and threw himself from the roof. The next moment they heard the poker at work, smashing the window. "'He'll be in an murder, cried the mother, and ran to the stair while the children screamed and danced with terror. But the water was far too deep for her. She returned to the attic, barricaded the door, and went again to the window to watch her drowning husband gibbie was inside in a moment and seizing the cast proceeded to attach to it a strong line he broke a bit from a fishing rod secured the line round the middle of it with a notch Put the stick through the bunco in the bilge and corked up the hole with a net float. Happily, he had a knife in his pocket. He then joined strong lines together until he thought he had length enough secured the last stand to a bar of the grate and knocked out both sashes of the window with an axe. A passage thus cleared, he floated out first a chair, then a creepy, and one thing after another to learn from what point to start the barrel. Seeing and recognizing them from above, Mistress Mac Fawp raised a terrible outcry. In the very presence of her drowning husband such a wanton dissipation of her property roused her to fiercest wrath, for she imagined Gibby was emptying her house with leisurely revenge satisfied at length he floated out his barrel and followed with the line in his hand to aid its direction if necessary it struck the tree with a yell of joy angus laid hold of it and hauling the lock taut and feeling it secure committed himself at once to the water holding by the barrel and swimming with his legs while gibbie away to the side with a hold of the rope was swimming his hardest to draw him out of the current But a weary man was Angus, when at length he reached the house. It was all he could do to get himself in at the window and crawl up the stair. At the top of it he fell benumbed on the floor, by the time that repentant and grateful Mistress Macfop bethought herself of Gibby. Not a trace of him was to be seen, and he found that a yard of the line remained attached to the grate, but the rest of it with the anchor was gone. Fit bark for the angel, he imagined, Gibby, to ride the stormy waters with withal. While they looked for him in the water and on the land, Gibby was again in the room below, carrying out a fresh thought. With the help of the table, he emptied the cask into which a good deal of water had got. Then he took out the stick, corked the hung tight, laced the cask up in a piece of net, attached the line to the net, and wound it about the cask. By rowing the ladder round and round, took the cask between his hands, and pushed from the window straight into the current of the glassburn. In a moment it had swept him to the lorry. By the greater rapidity of the former, he got easily across the heavier current of the ladder, and was presently in water comparatively still, sw- swimming quietly towards the mains, and enjoying his trip nonetheless. The that he had to keep a sharp lookout. If he should have to dive to avoid any drifting object, he might lose his barrel. Quickly now, had he been so minded, he could have returned to the city, changing vessel for vessel, as one for another went to pieces. Many a house roof offered itself for the voyage, now and then a great water wheel horizontal and helpless, devoured of a settlement. Once he saw a cradle come gyrating along, and, urging all his might, intercepted it, but hardly knew whether he was more sorry or relieved to find it empty. When he was about half-way to the mains, a whole fleet of ricks bore down upon him. He boarded one and scrambled to the top of it, keeping fast hold to the end of his line, which unrolled from the barrel as he ascended. From its peak he surveyed the wild scene. All was running water. Not a human being was visible, and but a few house-roofs of which for a moment it was hard to say whether or not they were of those that were afloat. Here and there were the tops of trees, showing like low bushes. Nothing was uplifted except the mountains. He drew near the mains. All the ricks in the yard were bobbing about, as if amusing themselves. "'the slow Chondra dance. "'But they were as yet kept in by the barn "'in a huge old hedge of hawthorn. "'What was that cry from far away? "'Surely it was that of a horse in danger. "'It brought a lusty equine response from the farm. "'Where could horses be with such a depth of water about the place?' Then began a great lowing of cattle, but again came the cry of the horse from afar, and Gibby this time recognized the voice as snowballs, forgot the rest. He stood up on the very top of the rick, and sent his keen glance round on all sides. The cry came again and again, so that he was satisfied in what direction he must look. The rain had abated a little, but the air was so thick with vapor that he could not tell whether it was really an object. He seemed to see white against the brown, water far away to the left, or a fancy of his excited hope. It might be snowball on the turnpike road, which thereabout ran along the top of a high embankment. He tumbled from the rick, rolled the line about the barrel, and pushed vigorously for what might be the horse. It took him a weary hour, and so many currents was he caught, one after the other, all straining to carry him far below the object he wanted to reach, an object it plainly was, before he had got halfway across. And by and by, as plainly it was, Snowball testified to ears and eyes together. When at length he scrambled on the embankment beside him, the poor, shivering, perishing creature gave a low neigh of delight. He did, he did not know Gibby, but he was a human being. He was quiet, co- cowed, and submissive and Gibbie at once set about his rescue. He had reasoned as he came along that if there were beasts at the mains, there must be room for snowball, and thither he would endeavor to take him. He tied the end of the line to the remnant of the halter on his head, the other end being still fast to the barrel, and took to the water again. Encouraged by the power upon his head, the pressure, namely, of the halter, the horse followed and made for the manes. It was a long journey, and Gibby had not breath enough to sing to Snowball, but he made what noise he could, and they got slowly along. He found the difficulties far greater now that he had to look out for the horse's wells for himself. None but one much used to the water could have succeeded in the attempt, or could indeed have stood out against its weakening influence and the strain of the continued exertion to gather so long. At length his barrel got waterlogged, and he sent it adrift. Thank you for listening to another episode of Soft Story Classic.